Hey friends, welcome to Garden Church Podcast. This is a series called Jesus People. We are looking at who Jesus is and how we become more like him. Jesus People are God's strategy for transforming the world. We hope you enjoy this podcast. For more information, go to garden.church. All right, 11 a.m., how we doing? Yeah, okay, that was all right. I sound a little under the weather. Uh, I'm sick, so I couldn't call this one in. I actually tried to get some backup. I have a friend visiting who leads a church in Ohio. Noah's here. And I was like, I might need you tomorrow if I can't get out of bed. But I'm here to preach. I'm here to preach. You guys had a good Sunday last week with Pastor Bill. I heard he preached the best sermon you've ever heard. That's awesome. Just kidding. Uh, My name is Darren. If you don't know me, if you're new, we're in a series called Jesus People. It's a discipleship series. We're looking at who Jesus is and what his worldview was like in his ministry and how we as followers of him become like him and how do we take his thoughts, his ideas of how the world works, make make it our own? How do we take his lifestyle habits and practice those spiritual disciplines? And how do we look at the characteristics and attributes that are described in the scriptures about this man, this God, and begin to permeate those characteristics to the world? That's the goal of this series is that you become like Jesus. You become a Jesus person, Jesus people. That's who we want to be. Um, God bless you. I see you. All the sneezes. Uh, it's funny. I mean, it's interesting. This week, obviously, we prayed last week. We're going to continue to pray for Israel um, and pray for the conflict that's going on in the Middle East and in the way that we see so much injustice and all these things happening. And this week, I was with a friend who has lost a loved one tragically and just reminded as we sit as the people of God in this tension of God's world is beautiful and needs to be enjoyed and God's world is broken and it needs to be healed. And we we talked about this weeks ago when we started our series. You hear me talk about this all the time that the primary message of Jesus was that the kingdom of God is available here and now. But we live as the people with the coming of the kingdom here now and not yet. And that's a tension. It's a tension that's evident always in our lives that we as disciples of Jesus know things are not the way they should be. We can watch it on the news, but we can also, we can also just testify to that reality in our own lives. How many of you would love for things to change in your life right now? There's like a thing inside of you that you wish, man, if there was a miracle that God would do, this would be the miracle. I don't want to keep confessing this sin. I don't want to keep struggling in this relationship the same way. I don't want to keep living with this sense of despair that things will always be this way. And so as we, as we live in this tension, how do we grow as disciples? This is the question I'm after. How do we live in eternity now? How do we live from the mindset of heaven's inbreaking power and resources available to us and still live in the ordinary, present, mundane pain, suffering, brokenness, anxiety, war, and kidnappings, and slavery, yet beauty and good and love and justice and all these things are intertwined. That's where we have to find ourselves. Are you with me? So today I'm going to talk about an attribute. We've talked about patience and holiness 
I want to talk about an attribute that I think has such significant power in the life of a disciple, but it's so overlooked because of what culture has done with the, the, the framework of the word. So if you have a Bible, let's go to John chapter 15. I'm going to frame it in this text. If you don't have a Bible, you, should, you can get one. There's some in the back. Uh, if you brought your idol, uh, your phone, it's a pocket full of idols. And I want you to go to your Bible app. You can download a free app. But here's the trick. Don't, get, don't, don't even think about looking at Instagram or texting your friends or while you're here present to the word of God. We are, we're going to preach the word. I'm going to preach. I'm going to preach. So John chapter 15, right? So it's the end of this, ep- it's, it's Jesus' kind of last night with his disciples. He's teaching his disciples kind of as a rabbi these really important things. And he, in chapter 15, verse 9, he just talked about all these commands. And he says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Make your home my love. If you keep my commands, you will make your home in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and made my home in his love. And listen to what he says. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete, may be full, filled up to the brim of joy. The topic today is joy. And I can't think of a better, more important eschatological, kind of the study of the end times idea than biblical joy in a world today. C.S. Lewis says this, good things as well as bad, you know, are caught by a kind of infection. If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to get wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy and power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. They are not a sort of prize, which God could, if he chose, just hand out to anyone. They are a great foundation of energy and beauty, squirting up at the very center of reality. If you are close to it, the spray will get you wet. If you are not, you will remain dry. Here's the formula for joy from C.S. Lewis. Get to the source and you'll have it. Get to the source, God, and you will experience it. Get close to God and you will be happy. I want to show you the overwhelming biblical evidence for the people of God to experience and bring joy and happiness to the world. You don't hear this very often. Bring joy and happiness to the world. Are you with me, church? We got a lot of Bible passages and I got seven points, all right? So here's seven points called discipled into joy. Now, we're gonna walk around these points. So we're not gonna get to the end with an aha moment, okay? You're gonna get aha moments along the way. Bear with me. I'm gonna probably lose my voice. So you're just gonna have to translate in the power of the Holy Spirit. We need some interpreters. Here's seven points that I have for you about joy, discipled into joy. Number one, central to the ministry of Jesus is joy. Number two, God is happy. Number three, God wants you to be happy. Number four, joy is a cultivated way of seeing life before God, 
Joy is all around us. Joy is a gift from God. And my favorite, joy is contagious. So I want you to have a biblical view of joy. Some of you, I just know, and I'm not saying this prophetically, I'm saying this reading the room, you need joy. The world is weighing you down and you have lived from a perspective of culture, not from the scriptures, not from the Jesus mindset that he wants to give you. And I think there's a way of both practicing joy, learning joy and receiving it. So I'm gonna give you some tools to help you develop a worldview of joy. And I'm gonna say, come Holy Spirit, let it, let it reign with joy in our lives. Because I've seen the power of God setting people free. There's this, my wife um, has had some encounters with God <clears throat> that if you know my wife, you know she doesn't like the attention on her. She's been on this stage like a handful of times in 15 years of leading this church. She doesn't like the stage. She doesn't like people like noticing her. There was a season where she was going through a really hard time of depression and anxiety. We've shared her story lots of times. I have, she has to other people, not on stage. <laughs> and we are doing... Uh, our Empowered Conference, which is a Holy Spirit conference we do once a year. Most of you haven't been here for over a year, so we're so glad you're here. But, but some of you have, and it's pretty remarkable. And right, the Sunday, uh, or the Saturday night before the last Sunday before COVID shut everything down, we had this insane encounter of God. And those of us that were there, it was miraculous. People got healed, lots of things happened, but there was this moment that we were in this room as the people of God worshiping and then it got quiet and we just waited on the Lord. And I was in the front and I started hearing laughter and I'm like, what the heck is going on? Like, get these kids out of here. I didn't, that wasn't a thing, no. I was like, what is going on? I turn and I see it's my wife laughing, like uncontrollably. And like, I know the backstory. I know she would never want to do this. This is the last thing this woman would want to do. But knowing she's in a season of grief and depression and all sorts of not yet reality, when the Spirit of God came on her, she started hysterically laughing. It's now obnoxious. Everyone's watching. The person behind her was a friend whose dad had just passed away. And she was grieving deeply. She herself was depressed. She starts laughing. And the spirit begins to break out in the room and it was marked by joy an uncontrollable laughter in the room. And for somebody who likes to be in control, who likes to be put together and not have to do things that make him feel uncomfortable or pointed out, it was very uncomfortable. But there was an undeniable move on our, our community for joy. That joy, I mark it as what we, we needed to get through COVID for our family. Last Sunday, Sunday, so that was a Saturday. The next day, we're about to do announcements. I'm about to do announcements. Julian and Katya Adams were preaching and I can't stop laughing. Some of us really, I know this sounds weird. Why are you talking about laughing? I'm talking about the power of God in a moment to restore people into their true identity. Why do I say that? Because you know how the story ends? There will be no more tears. There will be joy experienced with God and his delight and his presence. Do you know that's how the story ends? That we don't have to grieve the loss of family and friends without hope because we know how the story ends. 
We, when going through diagnosis, when walking through cancer treatment, when walking through circumstances, we don't live as the world lives. We live with the reality of heaven coming here knowing that Jesus sits on a throne. And if you have the audacity to believe he lived in history, died on the cross, the worst death anyone could have or receive, and raised from the dead, defeating death, Satan, and sin, then why would you worry about where rent's coming from? The way the world does. Do you get what I'm after? Do you hear me preaching with a broken voice? I can't help myself. I think you need to see the world through the lens of Jesus. And joy is something he's characterized by. It's central to his, his um, ministry. Let's go. First of all, let me define it. Joy is a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. In the Greek, it's the experience of gladness. The reason for joy, gladness, it's delight. Other words to describe it is contentment, jubilant, satisfaction. So these, this is what we're going after. So let's, let's say, number one, this central to the ministry of Jesus is joy. I'm going to skip around for the sake of time, but I need you to see this. This is so important. I'll spend a lot of time on this one. Part of our problem is you don't think God is happy or wants you to be happy. You don't. Most Christians, you think he's punishing you when you make a mistake. You think the stuff that you're going through is caused by him. That's bad theology. Joy and happiness in the Greek are a grouping, a part of a grouping of words that can be translated to 20 different words in the New Testament and the Old Testament. The Greek word markyrios is the word for happy and blessed. Now stay with me on this. This is a biblical argument that I need you to reinterpret scripture with me on because most of you are going to have a hard time. I'm going to argue you to submission, <laughs> to, to make you agree that one of the things that you need to embody, that one of the things that God wants to give you, that one of the things that becomes a new paradigm for your interaction in the world is this idea of joy, happiness. Now, the problem with our understanding of this is not just the bad teaching you had in the past. It has to do with our actual translation. So the Bible translates that word markyrios mostly across the board to the word blessed. And the reason it translates to bless is when the King James Version was translated 400 years ago, it used the English word blessed, which at the time meant happy and prosperous. But today, blessed has lost its meaning. It has to do with religious experience. It has to do with this religious idea. And do this in interpretation and this interpretive tradition, it's stuck around, but most, if not all scholars believe a better word for that Greek word markyrios that we translate blessed is actually happy. So reframe the scriptures with that understanding. Let's look at Matthew chapter five, verse three. In the Sermon on the Mount, you call them the Beatitudes, the blesseds, the blessed. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You make it a religious word. He, a better translation is happy are those. What does that do to that whole beatitude? Happy are those. <clears throat> John chapter 13. Jesus washes his disciples' feet. T 
teaches the commands to love one another, lay down their lives for one another. And then he says this little thing at the end, verse 17. He says, now that you know these things, you will be happy if you do them. Okay, blessed. Here's, here's what I get with blessed. I think of the Proverbs and Psalms that it talks about like two ways of living, one towards wisdom, one towards uh, folly. Do you know what I'm talking about in Proverbs? Okay. And, and the wisdom is a life that's blessed by God. There's a path that if you do these things, you will have the blessed life. Folly is another path. If you do these things, you will have a destroyed, uh, you will experience destruction. Now, what you have to know is the biblical writers didn't think blessed or destruction were future realities. They were actually current realities that you were experiencing in those moments. So wisdom was embodied in that moment. Your blessed life was experienced through joy. Things working out the way God intended them to work out. That's a mark of joy. Take note. Versus folly and destruction and despair and anxiety. Things not being the way they should be. Living down a path that's unrighteous. Not biblical, you could say ungodly. There were experiences you could have, not just in the future, but present. Jesus is saying, happy if you do them here and now. Now, one of my favorite passages of all of scripture is when Jesus takes Luke chapter four, verse 18, and he, he takes Isaiah 61 about the coming ministry of the Messiah that was, that was about him. And he says, this is what my ministry is. He uses it as a, a mission statement, kind of a, uh, state of the union, state of the kingdom address. Now, we train at the Garden Church. We're disciples of Jesus, right? Most of us. That means we're reading our Bibles more than just Sunday. I got you. Conviction's coming in. That's the spirit, not my tone. He uses this passage. And anytime you see in the New Testament an Old Testament passage cited, you don't just read the couple of verses cited by the author. As a good student and reader of scripture, what you should do is go to the reference, find the reference, and go and read the whole chapter. Try to understand what is, he, what is he hinting at. So when Jesus uses Isaiah 61, it's not just these passages. It's the whole chapter of Isaiah 61. So he says this, when uh, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim gospel, good news to the poor. Every time I read this, I'm like, there should be amens with each of this. So why don't we, he has sent me to proclaim freedom uh, for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, if you keep reading, that was great, 11 o'clock crushing it. If you keep reading, it goes on in Isaiah 61, he says, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes and the oil of joy instead of mourning. When God's redemptive work comes, he's going to bestow on them, anoint them with an oil of joy, happiness, things working out. This is, some, this is Luke. In, in Luke chapter two, we, we skipped over this. But when the angels announced the birth of Jesus, it says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. For who people? All the people. 
So the story begins with joy. All throughout the book of Luke, it's joy. And then you get to the end, Luke 24, verse 50, after the resurrection, when he had left them out to the vicinity of Beth- Bethany, led them out. He lifted up his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and he was taken up into heaven. Then they, were worship- they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with what? With a podcast strategy with circumstances working out. No, they went with joy. Something happened. Now, if you know the story of the church, the future is nothing but devastation for these guys. They will all die early, except for John. He dies alone on Patmos. He's exiled. But the rest of them will be killed. And if you read the early stories of these martyrs, there is this thing underneath the surface inside of them. It's like a reservoir. All this stuff's going on, but inside they're, they're marked by something that is miraculous and heavenly. It transcends circumstances. It's like they live from a different reality. That's what I'm getting at. As if there's a different dimension, reality that's more authoritative than real than the physical reality we live in. This is what we're after. And it comes, so I just want to make the point, a huge, overwhelming amount of evidence is that the ministry of Jesus is saturated and overwhelming, overwhelmed with joy. Good? All right. I'm glad you like that. I got six more points. They'll go fast. Here we go. God is happy. I, I, this is a big one. Okay, because the basic message of scripture is God became a human being in Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, we see what God's like. So when you read the gospels, what you see about Jesus is that he's feasting, he's celebrating, he's laughing. And if you read Greek, he, he's making so many jokes. You just don't get it because we don't read the original language. He's playing with kids. He's interruptible. He's not in a hurry. He's relaxed. When Hebrews writes about Jesus, The author says, you have loved righteousness. You've hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. You're going to be anointed with joy. Meaning, the people who knew Jesus best said he was full of joy. This isn't some idea I'm making up. It's deeply biblical. What is God like according to Jesus? Happy. He's in a good mood. Why does this matter so much? Because how you think about God will shape who you become. Trevor Hudson says, it would seem that we shape our picture of God and then that picture of God shapes us. So many of you, and I am saying, saying this confidently, 15 years of leading this church, so many of you are carrying around a distorted view of God. And it is cursing your life. God is angry. God is uninterested. God is waiting for you to mess up so he can write a ticket or judge you. God's uh, uh, an absentee landlord. He's, he, you're living as though God's disappointed with you and he demands you to perform. And I need you to know, and you need to know that the story of the God of the Bible is the story of a joyful, happy God. And he desires you to experience life the way it was intended to be. And this God desires you to become like him and reflect his image into the world. And central to God's desire for you is that you be filled with joy. Joy. We have access, as C.S. Lewis 
says to this joy through relationship to Jesus. Relationship to Jesus. Uh, NT, uh, sorry, Dallas Willard. I'm like quoting. Uh, it's either N.T. Wright, Dallas Willard. A joyous God fills the universe. Joy is the ultimate word describing God in his world. Creation was an act of joy, of delight in the goodness of, of what was done. It is precisely because God is like this and because we can know that he is like this that a life of full contentment is possible. Point number three, if God is happy and desires us to live out of his image and likeness, then therefore God wants you to be happy. Now stay with me because this is where it gets tricky. This is where our culture gets wrong and so many of you have a hard time with this and I understand. But joy, I'm gonna define it real quick. Joy is a sign that our hearts are functioning the way God intended them to be with harmony between our desires from our hearts, our decisions from our heads and our actions. So it's this harmony of functioning the way we were supposed to function. So the more we align our lives to Jesus as disciples, the more joy we should experience. Make this abundantly clear. The longer you hang out with the real Jesus in this life, the more joyful you should be. Not the more angry, judgmental. When, when, when asked by... Um, Barna Group years ago, what non-Christians thought about Christians, there were three things. Anti-everything, judgmental and hypocritical. The primary markers of Christians from outsiders looking in were those three things. Not joyful, kind, generous, inclusive, embracing the things of Jesus that you read about. They saw the things of religion. And I want this church to be marked by all sorts of things, but especially joy. Joy is such a gift. My wife sent me this last night. She's like, you're talking about joy? I'm like, yeah, she gave me this quote. She said, uh, it's from Bill Ivey. It says, misery might love company, but so does joy. And joy throws much better parties. Let's go. <clears throat> so biblical joy is built on the foundation of what who God is and what he's already done. So why can you have joy in the midst of trials? Because you've been set free because of Jesus. You're more than a conqueror because of Jesus. Because God's ultimate love wins, conquers death. You have been redeemed and restored. You have access to greater love. You exist not with facts, but in truth. Let me just say that again. Facts are not always true. And truth, capital T, always wins over facts. And sometimes we live in this world with all the facts working against us. And the truth is, Jesus, period, full stop, but Jesus has the final say. And when we embody that worldview and live with faith, stepping into what's true, acting in what's true, we don't have to live with the facts influencing our, our personalities, influencing our mindset influencing how we feel about the situation. It could be dire. You need to grieve. You need to walk with those who are losing and suffering and suffering the loss and grieving. At the same time, there's a reservoir of joy given by God that you have cultivated because you live from truth, not from facts. You guys good? Joy, as the Holy Spirit enables, he, the Holy Spirit enables a capacity for life 
as it really is. Joy exists in reality, not in circumstances. Joy has depth and height and everything in between. Happiness based on cultural definition is a reaction to life as we hope it to be. It's a reaction to uh, circumstances being what we desire. The happiness is the fruit of our seeking a condition. And when that condition is present, then we have the emotional state of happiness. Joy doesn't work that way. Happiness is what culture trains us in. Joy is what Jesus trains us in. That's why Henry Nowen says joy does not simply happen to us. We have to choose joy and keep choosing it every day. We, treat, we can't treat joy like happiness. Joy is more of a choice. It's not something we consume. It's something we embrace Happiness is what we search for in all the wrong places. Joy is what's discovered when we meet with God. We're preaching today. Joy is a cultivated way of seeing life before God. Joy is a cultivated way of seeing, or you could say it this way, joy is a worldview. It's a way of seeing life before God. It's, it's, it's more than a goal. It's embracing something we have to train ourselves in. So we have to step outside of the facts and step into truth. We have to embrace these things. In the same way that anxiety and despair and depression are a cultivated way of seeing the world. How many of you know that, I was just hearing this in between services, that Somebody was telling me about a friend they had that gave up complaining for Lent. Some of you are like, dang it. Now I have to give this up. They're fasting, complaining. What does that do to your soul? Well, let me just tell you, like anxiety and fear, despair, this is a cultivated way of seeing the world. You, if you're critical, which isn't, a, it's, being critical isn't bad, being cynical is. Having a mindset to see the details and make things better, that's okay. But if a critical spirit comes in and you're only seeing the negative, that shapes your, the way you live. So if you're, if you, in our world, we live with this kind of state of fear, like every time, like there's something that possibly could go wrong, the news, social media, those friends of yours, think worst case is gonna happen. How many of you know if you live with worst case is gonna happen, bad things tend to happen? And then you have those ridiculous friends who are optimistic and good things always happen to them. I have those friends. They get upgraded on flights all the time. It's like ignorant optimism and they're the most joyful people to be around because they do get the good things happen. I think it's a perpetuated state of being in the same way that we know if you're looking for the negative, you'll find it. You can do this with your spouse, with your kids. You can do this with the church. We're, we love doing this with the church right now. There, there's a generation, and part of it is there's true hurt. Church hurts people because imperfect people lead the church. And when people make mistakes and people get wounded and they project their relationship to people, to God, and think it's God doing it, so we just reject church altogether because we deconstruct church. That's what's going on with a new generation. You will never have a perfect church. Garden is far from perfect. 
It will make mistakes and it will hurt you. I guarantee it. People in this church will hurt you. The problem is we take these mindsets from past experiences and we project them everywhere we go. But we do it with everything. I do this with the DMV. <laughs> Giving them a bad rap. We do it all the time. It's a perpetuated state. Of, it's a cultivated way of seeing life before God. One study done at Berkeley showed this. This is just the power of, of, of growing your mindset of joy. In Berkeley, they did a study with people dealing with depression and anxiety. And they had three groups. One, they had to, for four weeks, write down their deepest, darkest pain and worry every day. The other group, neutral. Just write down neutral thoughts. I don't know what that is. <clears throat> and then the other one, was gratitude. You know what happened? What the study revealed? Expressing and harnessing gratitude has shown to have the ability to rewire your brain to ultimately eliminate anxiety completely. This is through the process of plasticity, which studies have revealed with the right action and thought patterns, you can re rewire your brain and eliminate those anxious triggers. In other words, if you want to grow in joy, you can train yourself in joy. In the same way, we're, we're learning, science is showing now like neural pathways. It's basically taking, every time you think a thought, you take a, a, a machete into a jungle and you carve a path. And every time you think the same thought, you create a highway to make that thought as easy as possible. So it's good, like remembering your kids' names, <clears throat> how, to get to, how to get to work. It's bad when the thought is you're not enough. People don't like you, they hate you. You'll never amount to anything. That highway of self-doubt and self-deception and self-hate needs to be rewired through practices of rewiring your brain. We talked about this when we talked about deliverance, where you can think thoughts, you challenge the false narratives and you bring on the true thoughts. You have to allow, uh, create a new pathway of I am more than enough. I am love for who I am. And that's gonna take some time to allow the, the jungle that you know, needs to fill the highway you've created so that you think those thoughts naturally. The same is true with joy. And we live in a culture of despair where we forebode joy. We, we don't want, we don't want to in, enter into people's joy. I see this all the time. I've read the study. I forget who said it. It was like, who can you tell good news to and who can you tell bad news to? If it, whoever that is, they're, they're their true friends in your life. I'm misquoting somebody. It's like a true friend. I'm just making, a true friend is someone you can tell really good news to and they'll celebrate and really bad news to and they'll, 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 they'll walk with you or something like that. But it's so true. We live in this place where like we don't celebrate each other. We compete. We're jealous. Joy is this economy that there's more than enough. And when our, when our brother or sister succeeds, we can celebrate and enter into their joy. Are you with me? Joy is all around us. This is a really important one. You're like, man, I'm dealing with despair. I'm dealing with a state of mind where I haven't experienced. So I don't even know what makes me happy anymore. Psalm 65 says, the whole earth is filled with the awe at your wonders. Where morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. Technical question, I want you to participate. Where is it that morning dawns and evening fades? Throw out your answers. Everywhere. Good one. Somebody got it right. 
Nobody got it right in the first service. What's he saying? Joy's everywhere. <clears throat> you have to have eyes to see. Some of us wake up and we're like, God, you're so kind. You're so generous. You're so good. Some of us wake up, we get on Instagram and we think I'm never going to be enough. Why doesn't it happen? And may I propose to you that your mindset needs to be changed and you need habits of joy and you need to develop joy radar. Like you need to look around for you do. Like a story, here's, here's a story. Have you ever been to Disneyland? Okay. There's this day for Ezra's birthday. I don't remember how old he was. He's young. We went to the happiest place on earth. Literally called the happiest place on earth. Now it costs a lot of money to go to Disneyland. Do you know that? Lots of sacrifice to make it happen. And we had a delightful day most of the time, except something kept happening. So Ezra stood about yay high. And... It's not what you think. Just chill, okay? It's not him you're going to be sad about. It's me. And his height would just, you know, he would, he'd be looking somewhere and then turn to grab me. And it would be like getting hit every time in a sensitive area. Right? To the point now, after maybe seven, ten times, I was really bitter. I was really frustrated. I was standing away from Ezra. I was like, dude, you stay over there. We're in the same line. He's like, daddy, come on. I'm like, no, you don't don't have self-control. And I'm losing my self-control. And there I was at the happiest place on earth, joy incarnate for some of us. And all I could think about was how he was going to hit me in the sensitive place and how irritated and zeroed in on this constant interaction, missing what was happening. Don't we do this all the time? Don't we do this all the time? The same day, I just got to tell you this because it, it goes to my last, I'll, I'll tell you the last point in a second. So I'll, the, it, the story doesn't end with me being angry and bitter. But the first thing is we can be looking for the flaws and we can be critical or we can start looking for the gift that's present everywhere because it's in the fabric of creation. It's all around us. Joy is a gift from God. I need you to hear this. It says in Psalm 30, you turn my wailing into dancing. Have you ever wailed? Have you ever cried to a point where the description from crying turns to wailing? where the guttural sounds from the inside of your stomach become expressed externally and the word to describe it is wailing. If you've ever experienced wailing, let me tell you what you don't want to do in that situation. Dance. The last thing you want if you're in a state of deep grief is to start expressing yourself physically with dance moves. You turned my wailing into dancing. Oh, this poetry. Because when we're talking about human emotions, the Bible knows we need metaphor and poetry to understand the heart of God and the power of God in moments. Turn my sackcloth, a a thing that you would wear in a, a, a state of grief and you clothe me with joy take this off. Let me put joy on. How's joy look today? 
right? You're like, what do you mean? <laughs> it's the meds. I don't know what I just did. First Thessalonians, it says, you became imitators of us in the Lord and you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering. So check this out. Thessalonians persecuted and Paul writes to them, he's like, you accepted the gospel message with suffering. They, got su- they experienced persecution with joy given by the Holy Spirit. There is this thing that you see that you can experience the trials of life and at the same time be filled with joy. That's a mystery. It's a gift from God. It's my wife dealing with depression and anxiety. And in a moment where we say, come Holy Spirit, the thing that you least expect from her is what comes out. A gift of joy. A gift of joy. Some of you, you got the practices down, but you need to humble yourself and say, I want the gift. I want a gift from God to walk with me in this season, to turn this despair seasoned over life, marinated for years, to become bubbling up with joy. That's for somebody. That's not just for us. I'm speaking prophetically. God wants to turn your worldview, your heart that's been hardened, and he's going to soften your heart with joy. Not because of practices from Jesus, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Lastly, joy is contagious. Psalm 28 says, Praise be to the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him. He helps me. My heart leaps for joy with, this, with my song. I praise him. Do you know what's, that imagery is so interesting? Your heart your heart leaping with joy. In my mind, I think of skipping. How silly is that? Have you thought, of, like, have you thought about it? How silly skipping looks? <laughs> and why? Like, it doesn't make sense. Now, I would normally say skipping doesn't belong in adults, right? Except I was in New York last week preaching, and I was walking to the church last Sunday, and there was a guy skipping. So my whole category of what I was going to share is broken because I have to be honest, in my experience, it doesn't, but he was doing like some technical workout because he was a marathon runner. So that doesn't count. Apparently runners skip. Is that a thing? I know some runners. Maybe you ran the marathon today. Oh, you probably didn't. You would still be running. Um, Long Beach. That's why so many of us got, you guys have traffic on the way here? Anyone? Yeah. Forgot that I put it in the announcement. Forgot the announcement. Got stopped on PCH, turned around. Joy is contagious. Here's what I want to say about it. When God gives you the gift of joy, do you want to know how you grow in it? How do you grow in things of the kingdom? How does you give it away? In the economy of of the kingdom of God, whenever you receive something, if you want more of it, you have to give it away. Joy can be given away, right? Joy is this thing that when we witness the pure expression of joy, you just can't help it. So Disneyland, full story. There I was, stuck in the zone, you know, whatever. <laughs> Bitter at my little, he's probably five or six, which is so ridiculous. That's how petty I am, right? That's how bad I am. But throughout the day, it's like we're eating all the treats. We were, it was just Alex and I and him. Amos was home with somebody. Like, it was like a special day for Ezra. And it's expensive. Um, <clears throat> so, 
You're like, amen, I know, I, I get it. The struggle is real. And um, he like, you know, wants stuff. That's the problem, right? Like you're a kid, you don't know what money is. They do now, but like, you're just like, yeah, I want the lightsaber. Lightsaber is 150 bucks. Like, <laughs> no, thank you. You know, like we'll get you some cotton candy and we'll call it a day. No, it, but um, like we're, you know, we're taking photos and, you know, family members are texting and Alex's mom is like, does he want a special gift? And we're like, yeah, Disneyland is a special gift. Thanks so much. So put pressure on us. Like, and she's like, no, I want, I want to buy him whatever he wants. And we're like, no, you don't need to do that. No, I want to. And then like her father, uh, my father-in-law started getting involved. And he's like, we're, we're Venmoing you $150. I'm like, okay. So then Ezra goes to like the lightsaber factory where you can build a factory. Just, but to get there, we had to like, we were about to leave and we had to go all the way back to Galaxy's Edge, right? Which is like a, a half a mile or more. And we're like, he can't help it. He was exhausted. I was carrying him. He, now he's got all this energy. He's like running to, we get there and he builds his light. He like picks out his, I'm thinking he's going to go like mod, you know, model one after some famous lightsaber. No, he's like, I'm doing my own. <laughs> builds his own. Then he's got the saber. And then we have to go back to the car. And I kid you not, we skipped the whole way out. <laughs> It was just like, if this was Ezra, we were just like all the way out. Like, I don't even know. Because joy is contagious. And last point, it must be expressed. Let's pray. Can you stand? Thanks for joining us. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. For more information, go to garden.church. God bless you.